What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, take a load off on the leather-bound couch and enjoy this therapy session, the epitome of a bad beat in the Thursday night game where we can't really handicap a game any better than that, and it still doesn't go our way. That was on the heels of the Celtics' choke job against the Heat, and we'll break down the numbers for the Stanley Cup Final and a surprising result from what came of that. Then it's the game-by-game breakdown of the NFL Week 2 slate as we dig out of last night's hole. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And we start where we always do, and really more appropriate than it's ever been before with our Don't Look Back in Anger segment. This is why this segment was created, wasn't it? This is, you know, this is the therapy session. This is where you come for the release, right? And we created this Don't Look Back in Anger segment way back when this podcast started, you know, way back uh, in February talking about college basketball, right? Because on any given night, given the volume of college basketball that we bet on, inevitably there's going to be some sort of ridiculous beat, right? Late three-pointers, half-court shots getting made to cover a number even though they're meaningless, you know, free-throw stuff at the end, all of that kind of thing. And we haven't really had a bad, bad beat in a while. Uh, I would go back to the Lillard free throws back in the regular season edition of the NBA bubble. And since then, you know, obviously a lot of hockey being bet, and there isn't sort of a ton of bad beats that necessarily happen in hockey. Obviously, you know, NHL is rife with, you know, teams out shooting a team like pretty extensively, right? We had the Philadelphia Montreal series that was just essentially, you know, as close to a bad beat series as in bad beat games as possibly could be given sort of how kind of just different hockey is necessarily. And so sometimes you just have to let it out, right? And so today in last night is sort of one of those days, but we're going to make sort of a policy here. And we talk about betting on this show, right? And sort of managing your bankroll. And obviously we're picking games and we're doing all of that kind of stuff. But we also have to manage our own sanity, right? Our own emotions. And so we're going to implement this rule uh, or general policy that you can follow. And that's to just give it 12 hours. And what I mean by that, of course, is, you know, don't do anything crazy. Don't chase. Don't post. Don't do, you know, the things that we do when stuff like that puts us on tilt, right? And if you're sort of new to sports betting and maybe you've been a poker player for a while, you certainly know the term tilt. And stuff like last night will put you on tilt. And so, you you know, fortunately, you know, because sports kind of end that night, you can walk away from the table, so to speak, right? You don't need to go back into the book and just start firing off more bets, right? Those are going to be there in the morning. So give yourself 12 hours uh, maximum. It can be a little bit less depending on sort of the the gravity of the night and the beat. And so specifically with regards to last night, of course, I'm talking, you know, sort of unfortunately double barrel style here. First, it started with the Boston Celtics, 15-point lead in the second half, and... 
and we felt, you know, obviously pretty good about what we talked about with regards to the Celts, minus two and a half, and evening up that series, and getting into a decent place from a series price standpoint with plus 135, that, you know, you could then make some moves going forward, and they completely gas the third quarter, and then essentially the rest of the game, and, you know, you hear reports of them throwing stuff and yelling and all of that kind of stuff after the game. It's like, well, congratulations uh, on, you know, caring. It's the Eastern Conference Final. Feel free to show up in the second half. Like, I think they thought that they had that game won at halftime. And so for me, I go, you know, listening back to the podcast yesterday, talked about how, like, you know, the Celtics would have a good start. And for me, I go like, you know, I could have just avoided all of that by betting the first half or even the first quarter, right? But we get sort of in this culture where we have to pick games and the and the result of a full game. And so that's something that I need to get better at, right? Is when I feel like a team is going to have a lead, rather than trusting them to ha- to keep that lead, you know, let's just grab that lead and sort of get out of town, right? But it's so difficult to do when it comes to that sort of thing. And you know, so that kind of sucked because obviously, you you know, you're going, okay, we're going to cash this Celts bet. Then we're going to get into the NFL game here. And we felt really, really good about Cleveland, right? Whether it's the On Blast podcast I did with Sheldon Alexander or this podcast, I basically broke down what I thought was going to happen in the game, why there was value on Cleveland, um, you know, that they would dominate offensively and, you know, especially through the run game. And that should create some opportunities for Baker Mayfield. And if he could only throw the ball 20 times, we would be delighted. Well, pretty much nailed all of that, right? And we talk about how how do we judge a good bet after the fact, right? And we have our three things, our pregame closing line value, right? So able to grab it at five and a half, closed six, even six and a half in some places. In-game, right? Where are you with, you know, five minutes left to go in the game, 10 minutes left to go in the game, you know, or even just in general throughout the game? Are you consistently favored to win your bet? We certainly were, right? There were very few portions of that game where we weren't the favorite to win our bet. And in some cases, especially late in the game, pretty decisively so. And then finally, the post-game box score. And so I don't need to recap the game for you and what happened as far as like this play or that play, right? Like they were all pretty obvious, right? The key plays, you know, certainly the interception for Baker Mayfield in a situation where all they needed was a field goal to stretch it to a two touchdown plus game, which would have given us the cushion that eventually would have saved us the half point or point um, that we ended up losing the bet by. But instead, I rather rebuild the box score, right? And sort of point out just how ridiculous that was. And again, it's a matter of sort of sanity and (laughs) therapy and all of that kind of thing. But for me, I'd want to look at the box score and you go, okay, well, what are we going to look at with regards to that box score? And again, it's essentially the the analytics and the metrics right and so you know how do teams win games well they score points right that goes without saying right but deeper than that how do you get points how do you predict how do you find something that's predictive in creating those points well yards right you need to get yards to create points and you want to of course do that in the most efficient way possible 
right? And so, you know, the most yards per play, the most yards per attempt passing, the most yards per carry rushing, right? If you're accumulating a lot of yards on very few plays, you're doing it correctly and you should win most of your games. And the more you do that relative to what you give up, right? The bigger the spread should be, right? The more you should win by. So let's take a look at this box score, all right? We've got a yards per play of six and a half for the winning team versus four and a half for the losing team. We've got a yards per attempt at 9.6 for the winning team and 4.1 for the losing team. We got a yards per carry at 5.1 for the winning team and 3.6 for the losing team. That's a pretty big discrepancy, right? That wasn't last night's box score. That was the box score from Baltimore and Cleveland, right? A 20 plus point victory, a 38 to six victory, 32 point victory. Okay. So again, Baltimore six and a half, Cleveland four and a half. Last night's game, Cleveland was seven and a half yards per play. Cincinnati was 4.0 yards per play. So Cleveland had a full yard per play advantage over the Baltimore team that beat them previously and gave up half of a yard less than Baltimore gave up to them. Baltimore won by 32 points. Cleveland only won by five, right? So you go and, you know, and we talked about it. We talked about how the Baltimore game wasn't really a 30-point game. It was, you know, a lot, quote-unquote, closer than that in the box score. And that's a two-yard-per-play discrepancy. We had a three-and-a-half-yard-per-play discrepancy last night. And Cleveland still only one by five points. Like, that is incredible to do. And again, it's not like it wasn't predictive, right? We talked about what would happen. We talked about how Cleveland was going to dominate the run game, and that's exactly what happened. But what did they do, right? They force a pass, and Baker Mayfield throws the interception. Now, you could make the case that we were in trouble long before that even happened, right? Because strangely enough, Cincinnati's down 15, they get the ball down to the one yard line, first and goal, and they work themselves backwards to right the 10 yard line and eventually have to kick a field goal, they're so far away. Now listen, kicking a field goal down 15, not exactly trying to win the game, right? I mean, they probably should go for it in that situation, but it was still the third quarter. But that makes it a 12 point game. For me, and this is sort of the you know, doing the gambler's math or the, you know, football situational type stuff is if they had scored that touchdown to go down eight or seven, which is sort of how you felt like they were going to, you know, they were going to go for two there. And so they would have probably been seven or nine, right? In either one of those situations, we'd have been okay. Because if they get the touchdown and they miss the two point conversion and they go down nine, right? That opens the door for a late field goal to come back door, Right. And especially considering they had a billion fourth downs, by the way, five for five on fourth down. Are you kidding me? So, you know, but they don't. They only they, they fall backwards. They kick the field goal. They go down 12. And you can see it right there. You go this, you know, the way these defenses, particularly, of course, Cleveland's the way this defense is sort of just letting them dink and dunk down the field. Cincinnati's going to score the last touchdown here, right? Like that was somewhat of an inevitability. And so you could see it at that point. But then Cleveland on the very next drive goes down and has, you know, 
gets it down to like the 25 yard line and they're just absolutely gashing Cincinnati and you go why would you ever not run the ball and of course they throw it and Mayfield you know third year in the league and you can't see the backside safety when you roll out like that that's a major major problem for that guy and so you know People might be feeling pretty good about this win if you're Cleveland. I don't see how that's possible. And the real tragedy in this not covering and this not being a 12-point game or a 15-point game, however you want to sort of say it, is that if it had been, we would have gotten all kinds of value fading Cleveland next week and potentially beyond. And that's sort of this sort of double-barrel thing where you need to keep momentum going in sort of fading and then getting back on, fading, back on, fading, back on, on these teams in the NFL, because essentially everybody ends up 8-8, eight and 7-9, eight, and 9-7 nine, nine and seven against the spread. So if we can sort of toggle back and forth on these teams, you know, that's sort of the best way to do it. And we had this opportunity to get all kinds of value with Cleveland if they had just kept Cincinnati out of the end zone. So just frustrating across the board, right? And then, of course, you have the people out there who won with Cincinnati. And, you know, I, I made the comparison, right? Like they're standing on third, think they hit a triple. And it's like, you played it wrong. And, you know, congrats on the win. But, like, there was nothing going into that game that suggested that that was an appropriate number to bet on Cincinnati, right? Like the line a week ago was seven and a half. So you weren't getting any value betting six with Cincinnati like that's just not how this works right and the idea that Cleveland getting beat up by Baltimore and again with a box score that is way less threatening than this one is it tells you all you need to know right like you weren't doing the research so beyond I'm not going to say anybody's dumb I'm going to say they're lazy though right if you're not doing any research with regards to what's going on here in the first week we're one week through the season it does not take any effort whatsoever to go back and look at what happened in week one and sort of you know work with that you can find out what the look ahead line was for week two before last week and listen, I'm not going to say that every look-ahead line was completely correct or we need to bet based on that look-ahead line. I'm just saying something significant had to happen in week one for you to change your opinion or at least for the market to swing that far and swing from one side of seven into the other side of seven, right? From go to seven and a half, you know, from seven and a half over to six, like something significant has to happen. And all it takes is to look at the box score of those two games, Cincinnati and LA and Cleveland and Baltimore and go, oh, okay, like, you know, this is what this is. I'm not going to penalize Cleveland for getting beat up by Baltimore, one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. And so it's just lazy. And so, I mean, congrats on the win, but like you're doing it wrong. And so, you know, whatever, that's fine. But that's the type of stuff that we need to look for, right? Because we need to be taking advantage of that and we will over the course of the long term, right? This is where we get our value from, is from people lazily betting these narratives like Joe Burrow was impressive in his first start. And again, I keep coming back to the Joe Burrow thing and I don't want to sound like I don't like Joe Burrow. I actually think he's a very good quarterback and I've talked about how I cashed a 50 to one Heisman on him. So I have no personal animosity to him whatsoever. It's actually quite a bit the opposite. So um, at the end of the day, right? Like you kind of have to just suck it up, right? There are going to be bad beats. They're going to happen more 
than the bad wins are for us, right? Because we are, the whole point of being good at this is putting yourself in position to be on the right side late in games. And so if we're on the right side more than we're not on the right side, the times that we get sort of backdoored and jammed up at the end are gonna happen a lot more frequently because we're just going to be in a better position a lot more frequently. So I rather, you know, sort of in a, you know, from a business standpoint, I rather lose a game like we did last night where it's clear we were the right side. Everything that we said in that game happened essentially to a T and it just didn't bounce off the right way, right? Based on one play here or sort of one fluky type of a thing. And so I rather do that because the ones where we come back the next day and go like, we lost by 40 points, I was way off. Like that will shake your confidence going forward about handicapping this type stuff, right? And if you're out there and you're going, yeah, I really want to bet on teams that have a 3.5 yard per play Dis, like disparity, like they're on the on the downside of it. You go right ahead. I'll take the team that's plus three yards per play differential, and you can take the other, and we'll sort of see how well that goes long term, right? There isn't a point spread in the world in the NFL that gets made that should dissuade you if we know that going in, right? And of course, you know we don't know that going in, but that's the point. We're trying to sort of guess this based on the information that we get as best we can. And so we were able to guess it correctly and it still kind of didn't work out for us. And that's okay. And so, you know, in rebuilding these and sort of going, okay, well, how how did it do? How did our handicap do? It's the same thing in the NHL, right? And it's how we've done these post-series autopsies for these various, uh, you know, matchups. And, you know, it's the same kind of deal. Of course, instead of yards per play, we talk about expected goals for and expected goals against, right? It's all the same thing. We don't talk about points in the NFL. We don't talk about goals in the NHL. We talk about expected goals in the NHL in the same way that we talk about yards per play in the NFL, right? We're looking for the root of what's happening here. So with that being said, before we get to NFL week two, which I promise we're going to get to at nauseum, we're going to get a ton of that. We do need to do our post series autopsy on the Stanley Cup because the Stanley Cup is coming, right? It's the finals. It's starting this Saturday. Quick turnaround, lightning, bolt, literally, uh, that, you know, we have to get going on this. And so you guys want to know, like, who's going to win the Stanley Cup? And listen, I don't know either. But point is, is we now have numbers built up from these series. So let's quickly talk about the Western Conference Final, right? Uh, Vegas and Dallas. Dallas wins in five games. How did they do it? Well, I mean, essentially, they did it by having Vegas score way lower on their expected goals uh, for both on the power play uh, and five on five, right? And so their actual five on five goals in that series was four, four. But the expected goals for were 8.13 for Vegas and 7.71, which tells you, of course, that not only was the goaltending great, right? The finishing, the ability to score in high danger chances was subpar, right? And some of that's goaltending and some of that's, you know, hitting posts and missing the net and all of that kind of thing, right? And so if you if you saw anything from Vegas in that series, you knew, you're like, why can't this team finish? But it was actually the same thing for Dallas, right? Um, from a power play standpoint, Vegas, based on everything that we know, based on how many power plays they were given, right? Information that we would have loved to known before the series started, they should have scored 4.25 goals on the power play. They only scored three. 
using that same information. Dallas should have scored two and a half goals on the power play. They scored three, right? So again, Vegas should have had a almost two goal advantage over the course of that five game series on the power play. And they didn't, they didn't have an advantage in any way, shape or form, right? Three, three across the board, no shorthanded goals on either side. And so, you know, what does that all mean? Well, what it comes out to is that Vegas should have won that series 54.8% of the time. And they lost in five, which is all you need to know about hockey in general and trying to handicap hockey and why we can't get too wrapped up in short-term results. Because, you know, while we talked about how Dallas was way too much of an underdog in that series at, you know, a pretty ridiculous number of plus two, 220, that kind of thing. You know, now that we know the information, they still should have been an underdog plus 120 and you know if you'd watched every game you'd go yeah that actually kind of makes sense right Vegas outplayed them Vegas was getting the shots they were getting the chances and all of that right high danger chances were 43.38 again relatively low uh, 8.13 7.71 was the expected goals in Vegas's favor so again you can understand why even after everything we know from that series beyond the fact that Dallas got the quote-unquote timely goals and the timely saves right and that's the cliche that's the sort of standard operating procedure here that we work with with the NHL that people talk about, right? You'll get that in the mainstream media. Got to have timely saves, got to have clutch goals, all of that kind of thing. This is the mathematical manifestation of that, right? So Vegas should have won that series, and they really, frankly, obviously with a five-game series, don't come all that close. Uh, and then for Tampa and the Islanders, this one, of course, closer than what we would have thought, right? Before the series started, I gave Tampa up a 62.7%. That's essentially what the odds were given throughout the you know series. And it ended up being that Tampa wins that series 53.7% of the time. So again, that's pretty standard, right? That the Islanders were a plus 116 underdog even after what we know about that series, right? So Tampa Bay should have scored 3.948 goals, right? Round that up to four. Guess what? They scored four goals on the power play. The Islanders should have scored 3.39 goals on the power play. They scored two. So obviously they didn't do enough relative to how many opportunities that they had on the power play. Uh, pretty even with regards to, you know, expected goals for, right? Tampa, 13 expected goals for, they scored 14. The Islanders, 11.39 expected goals for, five on five, they scored eight. And so that was the difference, right? The Islanders didn't have that conversion rate that they needed to keep up with Tampa Bay in, of course, what ended up being a six-game series. And again, we always talk, if it goes to six, right, especially if it goes to overtime in game six, then it was certainly close, right? It was close enough. And so, you know, the numbers sort of bear that out, tightening up that the Islanders, you know, weren't a 62.7, you know, percent underdog. They were much closer to a 53.7, or of course, in their case, 46.3% underdog. So again, we break that down. And we sort of see how close we were with regards to handicapping, where we were right, where we were wrong. Of course, obviously, we were right pre-series talking about how Dallas was, you know, way underrated when it comes to their underdog price. And then, frankly, we were right during the series, especially after game two, where we go, you know what, Vegas is the better team here they, you know, rightly so should be the favorite. And the way that we played the series price, right, we were never giving up any juice uh, on the series price. In fact, we were getting 
a pretty great number throughout. And so we weren't wrong there. It just so happened that it didn't work out because it's hockey and kind of weird stuff happens. Um, and the Islanders and Tampa Bay, like looking back, do I wish I was on the Islanders more? No, not really, because we got them in that game three. And so even if you had sort of moved on after game one and said, okay, you know, ideally I go into the series and I go, listen, the Islanders have no chance in game one because of the quick turnaround. And whether we bet Tampa or we don't bet Tampa, we then sort of treat it like a six game series after the fact. And, you know, even looking back going Islanders won two games, they would have needed to be plus 150 or better to win those two games, win us three units that would have had us break even on losing three units the rest of the way with the Islanders, right? And so we essentially would have broken even anyway um, beyond the fact that we just should have bet Tampa Bay at kind of no matter what number in that first game. So again, not that big of a deal, not a thing that we really missed out on, especially the fact that we did get in for game three on the Islanders. So we ended up up in that situation and slightly up for the series because we gave a unit back in that game five uh, with Tampa Bay uh, on the live money line that went to overtime, right? So again, putting ourselves in the right position to win and then just letting the chips fall where they may and playing the odds, right? Like that's what that means. And so if we're getting a better number from a probability standpoint, then the price is indicating from a probability standpoint, then we are doing okay. So enough about looking back, right? Let's look forward here and let's look at the Stanley Cup final here. And so here's what I've got, right? So essentially now the regular season is so far behind us in our rear view, all of these numbers stem from the playoffs, right? all the way back to round one of the playoffs. So the high danger chance stuff, the power play percentage stuff, basically the expected goals for and goals against in the series are all, you know, there's no more regular season because we have enough as sort of best as we can of a sample size for this series going forward. So the high danger chance uh, worksheet here works out to Tampa Bay scoring four goals per game against Dallas and Dallas scoring 2.75 goals per game. Throw in the power play worksheet that adds essentially 0.8 for Tampa and 0.6 more goals per game for Dallas. And you've got sort of an average here of 4.8 and 3.3 goals per game. Does that feel a little bit high? Honestly, yeah, it kind of does, right? But you've got two teams that obviously have won the vast majority of their games here. And so just sort of by definition, they're going to have sort of a higher projection, right? Because this, these teams haven't been winning two to one games or three to one games. I mean, a little bit lately they have, but over the course of the entire playoffs, it's been quite a bit more than that, right? You've seen Dallas get involved in these 6-5 games. You've seen Tampa Bay, you know, hang eight on the Islanders, often scoring, you know, four goals per game pretty frequently. So, but point is, is while these numbers may be a little bit high, projecting out like eight goal average total, right? Like that's probably not going to be the case. I'm certainly not saying like, everybody let's bang that over, but that's just sort of what it comes out to when you're talking about using games where both teams have had a great deal of success over a pretty long period of time. More importantly, what that means is that Tampa is going to score 58.9, or let's just round this up to 59% for the purpose of conversation, that Tampa Bay is going to score 59% of the goals in this series. 
right? So what does that translate to? Well, it translates to obviously a couple of things, right? We need a game line and we need a series line. So for me, the game line at 58.9% becomes minus 144 as a true game line, right? Minus 144 for Tampa Bay, plus 144 for Dallas. We look at the actual line now and we see, right, if I'm going minus 144 or plus 144 and I'm a sports book, we've talked about this before, right? I'm, when I create the juice for this, I'm not giving anybody more value on the underdog, right? I'm not going plus 154 and then, you know, Tampa Bay up to, you know, minus one. 65 or something like that, right? I'm making it entirely on Tampa Bay. And so here, I would make this line minus 165 per game on Tampa Bay if I was a sports book. And I would keep the money line for the underdog at plus 145, right? Like that's sort of just a long way of saying that if I were the sports book, that's what the number would be. Unfortunately for us and sort of our search for value, that's essentially what it is. It's off by a little bit. It's minus 160 plus 140 is sort of the consensus here. And so that's pretty much, that's about as close as possible to a game line, right? And I run my numbers before I look at the game lines so I can be fully ready to back one side or the other if I can see a significant edge. Well, there isn't one from a mathematical analytical standpoint. Now, if you wanna sit here and tell me, listen, Dallas has it cooking, their veteran presence, their um, you know, momentum, they've got a little bit more rest, especially going into game one, like, and I wanna bet this series, I don't wanna sit on the sidelines to the Stanley Cup final. I completely understand that, and I would say, let's go with Dallas, right? Because if we think that this series, you know, it's sort of like the Islanders series, right? If it goes six games and it's six games in favor of Tampa Bay. We're gonna to need to be on Dallas twice. And even then we're going to actually be down money, right? And so you need to think that Dallas can win this series overall, or at least force a game seven, right? Because we need to get to a game seven here um, for this to be profitable from a series line standpoint. As for the actual series line, is concerned, right? When you're 58.9% to win every game, that translates out to winning the series 68.9% of the time, which translates to a money line of minus 220 for Tampa, plus 220 for Dallas. Well, that's okay. That's something. But it's not sort of where we thought it would be, right? Because Tampa Bay by and large, I'm seeing anywhere from minus 175 up to minus 190. And for me, right, obviously if my number is minus 220 for Tampa Bay, and even once we sort of tweak that if we were a sports book, right, we sort of talk about that, I would bump that up to minus 250 or even minus 260 at plus 220. And so again, it just comes back to sort of how much you believe in this Dallas team and what they've been able to do in this playoffs, right? And of course, they've won all of their series. So you're automatically going to be like, wow, like this team's got it going. Like you're not gonna have a bad feeling about a team when they just won a series in five games. They won, you know, a seven game series in overtime before that, which should tell you like, by the way, they're not exactly dominating. Um, you know, by the by, just by the fact that it went to seven games, let alone the overtime. And then even before that, right, the Calgary-Dallas series was a little bit tighter than maybe we would have expected, given the fact that, you know, Calgary was out without their best player. So 
you know, is there a bit of a smoke and mirrors thing happening with Dallas? Like that's what you kind of have to sort of judge here. Also, we need to judge how healthy is Tampa Bay going forward, right? Obviously some injury question marks in and out of the lineup, Braden Point, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and then from a goaltending standpoint, are you going to get the Kudobin from this past series or are you going to get the Kudobin from the previous series, right? Is Tampa Bay going to actually score some power play goals at some point, right? And so, you know, a ton of moving pieces here. And listen, I don't really want to lay any, you know, you know, I don't want to lay a big number. I don't want to pay a hot, heavy money line price, whether it's game to game. It's certainly definitely not game to game, but even whether it's series price as well, right? That being said, the minus 175 here for Tampa does look pretty good relative to, of course, what my numbers are, right? And we plug the minus 175 into our probability machine, and that says 63.6, right? So if we're paying for a price that needs us to be right 63.6% of the time. And our numbers crank out that we're going to be right 68.9% of the time. That gives us a 6.3% edge, right? Which is certainly good enough to bet. Now you throw in the fact that, listen, this quick turnaround, Tampa was just in a series here, you know, two games later, how is that going to affect them? Well, I would say, you know, on the surface, you go, oh man, like quick turnaround for them. But in sort of, you know, bigger of a picture, right? Like, yeah, it affected the Islanders. But one, the Islanders had a travel day in the mix, right? Going from Toronto to Edmonton. The Islanders weren't even the better team going in to that series. So they're already behind the eight ball from that standpoint. Uh, And they had played, obviously, more games. Now, the... Tampa Bay squad here, like they've played six, a six game series, but before that it was a five game series. And before that it was a five game series. So they've only played 16 games total here. So as much as it's sort of a quick turnaround, you know, there shouldn't be that level of exhaustion. Now, as part of those 16 games, there was a five overtime game way back when there was a couple of overtimes here. And so you know, that's obviously going to add to the miles, so to speak, but it's not like Dallas and Vegas weren't going to multiple uh, games with overtimes, including multiple overtimes. And so, you know, again, I don't think there's that much of a, you know, huge divide here when it comes to sort of exhaustion levels, right? Because again, both teams, uh, I mean, Dallas has actually played more games over the course of this whole bubble situation than Tampa has. And so for me at minus 175, I think that's actually a good value from a number standpoint, which again makes me uncomfortable because I much prefer to take the underdog here. But we've got a one series situation. And so if you're asking me, hey, where's the value? Everything that we've worked on here, where we've absolutely destroyed the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? We have killed it. And if you're new to the show, you know, I'm sorry that you missed out on on August sweeps because it was an absolute cash bonanza in the NHL. And it's all based on sort of the metrics and the analytics that we're using to sort of determine these numbers. So I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, my numbers came to minus 220 and it's minus 175. Like we shouldn't bet Tampa Bay here, right? Like it's kind of, I kind of, I'm committed to it already. It's done nothing to show that it hasn't been either bang on or darn near correct or created value for a bunch of the bets that we've made. So again, 
at minus 175, I think that's a pretty decent price because it's not all that far off from the game price. And I much rather sort of let the cream rise to the top when it comes to Tampa Bay and at least start with Tampa Bay. If they can get the win in game one, then that's fine. We can keep rolling with that. And if they don't, right, then maybe we can average down with our pricing and sort of average up with our value and go from there because the idea that this game is minus 160 and the series is minus 175 doesn't really make a ton of sense to me um, but again that's based on the numbers that I have for this series so um, that's pretty much the story for the NHL um, and our don't look back in anger with football and hoops um, as far as the basketball game tonight right lakers and nuggets we've seen that the nuggets are completely fine with losing game one um and in in some cases losing pretty significantly a couple extra days or i should say one extra day that they had they've had off relative to what they had going into the clippers series where of course they got absolutely blown out in game one so it's a stay away for me in this one um if the lakers crush them you know i'm not going to sort of be dissuaded this time by what the you know by what happens there thinking you know the nuggets are capable of a ton of good stuff here and so moving forward then we'll sort of decide what we're going to do with it right and i'll sort of tweet out what i want to do for sunday's game um i imagine i'll be on the nuggets on in sunday's game you know i don't say no matter what but even you know if they win or they cover tonight against the lakers i think that's a pretty good sign in general um i have thrown sort of a three quarters of a unit on Denver and the series price on just the off chance that they do win. So I will sort of be watching from that level of interest, but it's certainly not significant in uh, in any way at all. Um, you know, sucks to have to go back to the well with it, but I think you have to bet Boston in game three of that series on Saturday at what is, you know, what, probably about the same nine, nine? the same line at minus two and a half here. Um, in favor of the Celtics, right? Like, again, it sucked to watch them blow it, but I don't know that it was necessarily some sort of scheme change that necessarily changed anything um, with that. It was just a matter of, you know, sometimes teams make shots. So we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to, let's be honest, what you're really looking forward to here, right? It's week two of the NFL. We're going to break down game by game, sort of talk about the tiers. We're going to get the buckets out, right? Moneyline parlay, tease bucket, all of that kind of good stuff. And then, of course, we're going to make our decision with regards to our survivor, or at least we're going to have our nominees for survivor. All of this stuff gets locked in on Sunday morning show. So we're going to do that after this quick break. Let's take this quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures or inspirational quotes or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Neil over at Hundo P Productions hooked me up with a couple of really fun videos for my podcast with Chad Millman from about a month, a month and a half ago. So contact Hundo P Productions to help boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. He does a great job over there. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at Hundo P Prod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. 
All right, week two in the NFL. Uh, unfortunately, digging ourselves out of a bit of a hole based on some ridiculous from yesterday. And so if you're new to the podcast here, maybe you've you know, caught the On Blast podcast that I do every Thursday with Sheldon Alexander, where you know he sort of comes to it from a sort of very recreational standpoint and sort of talking about pitfalls and sort of avoiding the mines, so to speak, that come from betting on the NFL, and we kind of just work things out from that standpoint. So you will hear some similar stuff that we talk about, but this one, if that's the soft core version, not to sort of you know go there, but this is more the hardcore version. And I'm not necessarily going to bore you to death with all kinds of numbers and all that kind of stuff, right? We talk a lot about market stuff, we talk a lot about perception stuff, the same that way that I do with Sheldon, but for sort of a little bit more, you know, significant. We don't really talk about the um, storylines and the narratives and the headlines and all that kind of stuff um, the same way that I do over there. That being said, you know, some of that applies to what we've got going on here. Um, again, follow Twitter at authentic because a lot of this stuff is going to talk about bets that I've made earlier on in the week, right? And if there's anything I can sort of tell you here, it's that grabbing numbers early in the week is going to be more profitable for you in the long term because you're catching these numbers before they get worse, right? Now, you have to know what's a good number, what's a bad number, and that's sort of also kind of what we're doing here as well to kind of give you those tools to sort of know okay, like that number's too high, that number's too low, like that's a key number that I want to catch on one side or the other, you know, depending on who you like in that game, right? And I'm not going to tell you who to like necessarily in every single game. You're watching these games too. And listen, this is sports, this is sports betting. Like people have their own opinions, right? I joke about like people are going to do what they're going to do, right? I went through an elaborate um, discussion with our friend of the show, Ted Ballantyne, about, you know, betting Jacksonville against the Colts in week one, right? He came on the AFC South preview and he still went and he bet on the Colts anyway, right? And so I said to him on Tuesday, I said, listen, people are going to do what they're going to do. The best thing I can do is sort of guide you. I think guide sounds a little sort of, you know, whatever, but like, you know, just sort of give you the ideas that, you know, you might not want to go too overboard with one side or another and just understand that all of these things you know, are, could go either way at any given time. And you just want to have the best of the number that's available to you. So let's get it going. Let's start off here. And so this is kind of why I lead into that is the Atlanta Falcons and the Dallas Cowboys, right? That number is down to four. And if sort of you're just sort of catching wind of this, I say down because this number opened at six and a half. I was able to get six tweeted out on Monday. And now it's down to four because for me, this is a game with two pretty bad defenses for the fact that the game went under on Sunday night between the Rams and the Cowboys it really wasn't an under game right it's another sort of box score evaluation and both teams had a you know significant yards per play and of course were given opportunities to kick field goals or had to kick field goals when they were given opportunities to score touchdowns and that's what kept that score under the number right but don't be fooled right Dallas's defense is disorganized of course you know Leighton Vander Esch out for a little while here with a broken collarbone and he as sort of the core middle of that defense is critical to a team whose strength right is at the linebacker and the defensive line 
positions, right? And so a lot of it is an organizational type thing on defense. And when you're without your kind of signal caller here, um, that's going to be a pretty significant issue, right? You know, the Falcons are going to spread you out. And of course, Dallas, not exactly known for a high quality secondary. That being said, neither is the Atlanta Falcons. And this is a day that Dak Prescott should have a pretty, you know, massive one. And so you know, we're looking at the total here at 54, right? So that's an indicator right there. I'm not saying bet the total one way or another, right? Because the total is what the total is. It's 54, it's mega high for a reason because it's going to be a high scoring game, right? That's built into what the total is. And so, you know, whether it's going to be a high scoring game or not, right? We talk about our predictive metrics, right? It's going to be a high yards per play type of a game. And so when it's a high scoring game like this, right? you know that you're not going to get i shouldn't say you're not going to get but you're like you're not going to have the defense bow up at the end of a game you're not going to have the offense like meekly you know give up and not convert a fourth down and sure maybe that's going to happen but can you tell me which team that's going to happen for you probably can't, right? Like you wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta won by seven and you wouldn't be surprised if Dallas won by seven if anything other than that and by other than that, I mean sort of beyond that, like win by 10, 14 happen, I'd be quite surprised by that because I think if a team's up by 14, we're looking at a potential backdoor. Now the number's four and the number was six. And so when it's six, obviously you're getting the option of winning on four, you know, winning on five, like last night, winning on or pushing on six. And those numbers could come in handy, right? What if this game is so close it goes to overtime, right? Having plus six is a lot better feeling when that overtime gets kicked off than it is when you're at four. And so I can't sit here and tell you like, go grab four, you know, because to me, that's obviously not the best of the number, but you know, that's still, I think a pretty decent bet given where, where I sort of think the range of opportunity or range of outcomes is going to happen here, right? Because I think that range is within seven points on either side. And if you're getting all of the Atlanta options, you're getting the Dallas options one through three and a push on four. And listen, this could very well go back to four and a half. And that's certainly more palatable than four because of how frequently I think the possibility is that this could land on four. So not a play that I love, not one that's necessarily going to be in the mix with regards to contest stuff. Because again, I rather just sit on the six and go from there. What I did was I did grab, of course, and this probably shouldn't come as a surprise to you. I grabbed the money line and we're going to throw the Atlanta money line in the bucket. It's plus 180 right now when it was at, you know, when the spread was plus six, it was over 200. So obviously a lot more attractive at that point too. But again, if I think there's sort of just as much chance of Atlanta winning by seven as I do Dallas winning by seven, then it would obviously make sense that I would use Atlanta in the old money line bucket right? Um, from a tease standpoint, again, when the number is four and a half, you tease that up to 10 and a half. And now you're encompassing that seven point option on either side. And you're even giving yourself an extra little field goal on the other side. So Atlanta is sort of a multi bucket thing here, as long as you get the right number, right? Now with the money line, of course, it's more about price 
long-term probability type stuff here versus like, oh, well, you know, it's, they still they have to win, right? It doesn't really change what they have to do. It's just what you're getting paid for when they do it or if they do it. And so when it comes to the Falcons, four and a half is a play on the spread. Again, sort of a tier one, tier two type of a thing. And uh, certainly goes into the tease bucket uh, going forward. And of course, we sort of make official what we're actually, what our five best tease plays are um, on Sunday. But this is certainly in the mix. Uh, Buffalo and Miami here. This one has sort of made cameo appearances at six for Buffalo, but by and large, five and a half. Buffalo is the, uh, the favorite here. Uh, immediately you go, okay, could tease it up, Miami. Plus 11 and a half. That looks really interesting. Um, even the, you know, home dog money line at plus 200. That's certainly interesting. I would throw both of those into the bucket. I haven't made a bet necessarily on Miami against the spread here. I'm going to kind of wait and see if this number ticks up because there's no real reason to bet a team at plus five and a half right? Because if it falls down to plus five, you're still pretty good. That's still a good bet, assuming you want the five and a half, right? Five, five and a half doesn't really make a ton of difference. It did last night. The difference was a push. Obviously, the difference will always be between a push and, you know, winning. But it's so relatively infrequent that games land on five that from a percentage standpoint, you don't have to worry all that much about it. And so I much rather wait and see if it goes to six or then even six and a half. I doubt it's getting seven at this point. But if you can wait that long, and again, if things turn around, it goes down to five or even four and a half, at least at that point, you now know you're on the right track and you haven't given up a key number, you know, with five being not all that key. Again, not so much last night, but in general, I promise you, five, not all that key. Um, Carolina and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. Um, this one, right, is sort of the standard, like, Tom Brady and the Bucks like, didn't look all that great on Sunday, you know, but again, this is very similar to the Cleveland situation, right, where you go, you're going from on the road against one of the best teams in the league, and again, I know home field advantage doesn't mean all that much, but like, you know, game to game, it might, um, you're going from that situation to you're now coming home against a team that's what, how many, how far down in the power rankings? I did a wins pool draft last night with some of my friends and Carolina went dead last. Now I don't think Carolina is the last place team this year. I don't think they're the worst team, but just the fact that they, you know, people chose the jets and, you know, and other various teams ahead of Carolina, you know, wins pool tells you all you need to know. Right. And the saints went like third. And so what a huge swing that is from a, you know, punching up, right? And you're now going against this Carolina team that can't stop a nosebleed. So Tom's going to look a lot better. Um, and just in general, the team is going to look a lot better. Now, I think enough of the Carolina offense that I'd be a little bit concerned with the potential backdoor here, right? And of course, especially based on the fact that we just experienced it last night. So for me here, while this is at eight and a half, this goes in the tease bucket for the favorite and Tampa Bay minus two and a half and is certainly an option for Survivor. One of the two options that I really like this week. And, you know, again, I'll stay away from the spread. Again, I'm, I, you'll almost never hear me give over a touchdown, right? I'm just never going to go higher than seven on a favorite. It's just, I'll just rather stay away. And that's where this one sort of comes in. Now, if you're going to take that clue and say, well, listen, I'm fine with betting favorites. I'm fine with giving up big points. I'll do that. 
and then go right ahead. I'm just saying that's just not, you're just never, almost never going to see that from me. Like it's going to take a ton more um, than that to get me to do that. Um, which of course means Carolina as an underdog doesn't quite make the money line bucket here. I just think there's too many other options. And listen, at plus 310 right now, it certainly looks somewhat attractive. Uh, but again, I just think that this is, this is still probably a team that's a little bit underrated from a Tampa Bay standpoint. Um, and not, of course, you know, Carolina is not overrated by any means, right? That's a team that I will be on uh, in other spots, especially at these types of numbers, eight and a half. And again, if Tampa Bay kills them, then that's just going to create more value for us going forward, betting Carolina. Uh, on to the next one, Denver and the Broncos here. Interesting little line move, and I think it's due to the Pittsburgh offensive line injuries that are starting to sort of stack up here, as that number was at 7.5 and, and is now dipped to 7. And I think this one is a really good tease bucket play for Pittsburgh, which is funny because I actually teased Denver uh, at plus 15 and a half over at Pinnacle earlier this week. And that's because they will have a tendency to shift their teases up a point. So instead of, you know, seven and a half, of course, tees should be minus one and a half on one side, 13 and a half on the other side. They will sort of be a little bit shady about it and they'll move it over so that it's 15 and a half and then three and a half. And so you're not getting that advantage with the favorite, which of course a lot of people want to tease down that favorite. For me, I want as many points as I can get. And if you're going to give me 15 and a half points in a tease on a line that was seven and a half and that has actually since moved down to seven, I'm going to take that every single time. And so that being said, once you move it down and I can grab Pittsburgh minus one, I'm going to do that too. And so that gives me a ton of options relative to the probability of this happening, right? And so if you go, if you take the Dallas game, for instance, you go, okay, what's the probability of that game landing on four? It's not nearly as high as the probability of Pittsburgh winning by seven. Do you know what I mean? And so the probability of pushing that line is considerably different in those two games. And so if I can get one side or the other way more significantly off of Pittsburgh, I'm happy to do it. So I'm going to be sort of shooting for the tease middle in that game more than anything else. Obviously, down to seven does make it a little more interesting in taking the spread with Pittsburgh. Um, you know, by the way, Denver, of course, a ton of different options, or I should say injuries that you know, could go either way um, as we get to game time. So watch the injury list, you know, for both sides. I'm not going to be that vigilant about it because I just don't like that game in general. Detroit and Green Bay talked with Sheldon about this and we sort of joked about we don't know who's going to play for Detroit. And so I would love Detroit sort of, you know, if both teams are full strength, I'd be taking Detroit all the way down to like a plus three and a half. But I just don't know who's going to play, right? Is Akuda going to play? Like, that seems like more likely um, than Galladay necessarily playing and some of these other guys that are on the injury list for Detroit, especially when we're talking about a term like cluster injuries, right, where multiple injuries to the same position group, right? And in this case, defensive back is the issue, right, where you have Desmond Trufant leaving the game and things went to hell in a handbasket for Detroit after they lost him. But that's because it sort of added on to a cluster of injuries, having already had to use backups in place of guys like Akuda. So, yeah, like we're at six and a half now, which to me, obviously, sort of a red flag that a lot of these guys aren't going to play 
But again, we'll sort of see how the injury report plays out here because we need to know, you know, with these injuries, because if it's not, if it's just a matter of people being really into Green Bay after beating up on Minnesota, a team that I think stinks, um, you know, then that's going to be an opportunity for us to buy low on Detroit and sell high on Green Bay, which fundamentally in week two needs to be your general principle, right? Buy low, sell high. Treat this stuff like the stock market, where if you're getting good prices on teams, you know, you just take advantage of those where you can. Um, Jacksonville and Tennessee, this is a wild one. And this is sort of, this is, it's not a mea culpa. It's sort of a sorry everybody type of a thing here. And listen, it's, I'm not saying the bet's going to win for sure, but the look ahead line on Sunday was Jacksonville plus 11. And even Monday morning on one site. And so Tennessee hadn't played yet. And of course I was on Denver. So I already kind of felt like Denver was, if they weren't going to win the game, that that game was going to be maybe closer than people think. And there was going to be sort of a reputation, you know, damage to Tennessee. And so I go, listen, it's not going to go any higher than 11, right? It's not going to go to 11 and a half. I believe I talked about that potentially on Monday on the podcast. And sure enough, it's down to seven and a half right now. And, you know, part of that is A.J. Brown seems to be injured and doesn't look like he's going to be playing. And it might even be a couple of weeks with a bone bruise type of thing. But who knows there? Again, I don't know how much necessarily he is should be affecting a line. Um, maybe people are just sort of catching on to Jacksonville, maybe not being all of that, all that bad. Uh, so for me, I'm letting the plus 11 ride. Um, obviously, that. You know, the bad news for me in all of that, of course, is that from a contest standpoint, the contest lines come out and I'm not getting plus 11 in the contest, right? I think it's like nine and a half or eight and a half. At, at any rate, if it's lower than 10, I'm going to pass on it entirely. Uh, and I'm going to pass on Tennessee here because obviously with that line move, you know, that's not a great indicator that I should be laying points with this team. And so you've already got Jacksonville taking out a major team with regards to Survivor each week. Is that going to happen again? I don't know, but I'm happy to sit back and see if it does, right? I'm not going to bet Jacksonville money line here. Again, um, you know, plus 280, certainly interesting, but you have this sort of home away thing, right? Where Denver, uh, excuse me, Tennessee plays in Denver and now comes home, right? A way more comfortable situation just based on the, you know, altitude, elevation change. Um, from one place to another. And of course, Jacksonville, you go from having that home field advantage uh, where maybe it was a little warmer than Indianapolis was used to. And now they just go to Tennessee, where again, that sort of thing is neutralized, right? And so we're not talking about crowds and how many fans that they have. We're talking about literal environmental issues that do affect how one plays. And even then, I don't think the Colts were necessarily like exhausted in the heat because it was a pretty overcast type of a day. Um, and who knows whether Tennessee was affected late in that game. Um, you know, they certainly had more than a, their fair share of opportunities to cover that game if the kicker could make any kicks. So um, again, by and large, I've got a good number. I'm sticking with that number. That's sort of what I'm doing uh, is if it went to seven, I would probably play back on Tennessee just to try to hit the middle because that's such a big middle from seven to 11 where all of those numbers are at least possible to land on, especially seven or 11 or 10, of course, you know, that that gives me an opportunity to win both bets in a game that I'm not all that 
sure about one side or another. I just know that I got a really good number, right? And that's sort of part of the deal with doing this professionally. You have to be ready, willing, and able at any given time. So by and large, that sort of takes things out of the mix with regards to teasers. Uh, again, if it gets to seven, right? Now you're looking at potentially teasing Tennessee minus one. But if it gets to seven, again, that's an indicator that sharp, smart money likes Jacksonville, right? It's not getting to seven because the entire world loves the Jags all of a sudden. That's just not how this works. So if it gets to seven, then I'm really going to be interested to see if the Jags can kind of pull this off for a second straight week. Uh, Rams and Eagles. This is one of the games that I'm almost definitely, let's just say I am definitely using spoiler alert um, on Sunday in the Circa Million. Uh, I love the Eagles in this game. And I didn't and you know earlier in the week. And part of that is sort of understanding where you where you bleep up in this. And where I would bleep up is, you know, back in the day or even literally last year or probably this year a little bit later on, is sort of falling in love with watching a team one week and going, I'm betting this team no matter who they play next week and vice versa you know, hating a team and going, I'm betting against this team stinks. I am going to bet against this team no matter what next week. And for me, that's what's going on here with the Rams, right? Sunday night football, we always talk Sunday night football is the reputation maker, right? It's the overvalue fest, right? Monday night as well, to a certain extent, but the games aren't as good on Monday night. They're not as high profile. They're not as the matchups aren't the same. And so you're looking at this going, oh, Cowboys, Rams matchup, like this is really interesting, you know, blah, 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 like really big game, Rams win. Uh, and not all that decisively relative to sort of how it felt like it should have gone. And so you go, okay, now you're going across country. Again, no fans, but travel is an element. And you're going against an Eagles team that's going to be pretty darn focused, right? Talked about it with Sheldon on his podcast, the On Blast Network. This is like, there's nothing that motivates a team more than being embarrassed. And when you lose to the Washington football team, you are going to be embarrassed. Now they get to go home. They haven't had to travel, right? They didn't have to travel from Washington. That's next to nothing when it comes to traveling. And so they should be fresh. They're getting a bunch of guys back, right? All reports indicate that Lane Johnson's back, which is obviously big time for the defensive, you know, having to deal with a defensive line that has Aaron Donald in it, which of course, fundamentally you go, oh man, like if the Washington defense can do this against the Eagles, like what's, what are they going to do against Aaron Donald? Well, the thing with the Washington defensive line is that they're deep, right? They have guys across the board and with the, Rams, it's really just Aaron Donald. And so you could, in theory, just double or in some cases triple him to take him out of the game. And then what happens, right? You can't do the same thing against the Washington football team, right? You have to have a plan to deal with those multiple guys. And so it's a different situation. I grabbed the four with the Rams because I was like, not because I loved the Rams in that game, though in part, I was like, oh, that's a pretty impressive looking team against Dallas. And that maybe we've been under sort of selling this team. And listen, I was on the Rams contest full bore last week. So it sort of lets you know that I still was pretty relatively high on the Rams in that spot. But you go, well, okay, like I'll grab that four. But that wasn't because I love the Rams. It's because the number was too high. And I can like the Eagles, especially at Pickham. And acknowledge that four is too high of a number, right? That's what we're doing with this, right? We're grabbing value where we can get it. And if the number had never moved and it had stayed four, 
I'd have been fine with that. Obviously, it wouldn't be a play for me on the Eagles in contests and otherwise. I would just been like, okay, got a good number, right? It's the same thing with the Falcons at plus six. It's the same thing with the Jaguars at plus 11. I just go, yeah, I got a good number. We'll see where it goes. In this case, because of everything that sort of happened here with the injury report and some public perception stuff that I kind of keep my eye on with regards to people that, you know, I don't think are all that sort of locked in on either betting or maybe they're just bad at betting. Like this is the type of scenario where they were going to love the road, you know, in this case, favorite if it can get to minus one. And then they're shocked that the Eagles, oh, can you believe the Eagles lost to Washington in one week and now they beat the Rams? Like, that's crazy. Like, that's what we do every week in the NFL. And you have to ask yourself why. And so that's the why for me, right? The Eagles are going to play a better game offensively based on the injuries uh, or lack thereof, right? The guy's coming back from injury. And by the way, Jared Goff on the road against a team that can pressure the quarterback, not great, right? Just the numbers over the course of his career are actually quite atrocious. So you're not going to get the same version of Jared Goff in this one, right? That looked really good in the first half, not as good in the second half. And so I trust the Eagles pass rush to at least get in his face a little bit more. And I trust sort of, I don't know, a career's worth of numbers that even at the best of time, Jared Goff was not very good um, away from home. So love the Eagles in that game. Also love the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't know that that number is going to come off of three. I missed an opportunity to get it at two and a half, thinking that maybe because there's so much sort of, I don't want to say denial, but it's kind of the best word. There's so much denial out there that Minnesota is, you know, that they're not terrible or that they're not potentially terrible or that they're not potentially a six and 10 team here that gets Mike Zimmer fired. And by the way, like, sure, they've had a couple of nice playoff wins over the years, but like, this is a team that's underachieved even at the best of times. And now they're a, a team that doesn't have a great defense, right? Uh, lost, obviously, a handful of guys. Ngakwe kind of banged up, didn't do anything last week. It was all I could do not to tweet about the stats for Fournette and Ngakwe and sort of all of those former Jags that it was such a disaster that they let go, traded, or gave away or just flat out left. And so when they're not getting defensive line pressure, which of course they're not with Daniel Hunter because he's not there anymore, or he's, or he's injured, I should say, and Everson Griffin's just flat out not there anymore, and you've got all these replacement cornerbacks on, you know, that were supposed to be better than their bad cornerbacks that they had before, not great, right? And, you know, again, talk about how like maybe Aaron Rodgers is a little bit overvalued because of how easy that defense is to play against. And you've got the Colts going from road to home, What's our thing about embarrassment, right? What's the other team other than the Eagles that were embarrassed last week? It's the Colts. And so things are going to be a lot more comfortable for them in this game. You know, back home, back indoors, bad defense. Not that the Jags defense was all that great. But this is a team in the Colts that didn't punt last week. They lost a game outright without punting. So if they don't punt this week, I'm pretty sure they're going to win. And I'm quite, you know, comfortable laying just three points. And so at minus 120 right now, it's not ideal. We're going to sort of wait and see and try to grab the minus 110, kicking myself to not get the, you know, two and a half, but it's certainly going to be a contest play for me 
as uh, as I like the Colts a ton to bounce back against a team that I think in the Vikings that is still pretty overrated. And we'll sort of see how long that lasts. Um, elsewhere in the one o'clock games, we've got two New York teams involved uh, and one I like and one I don't. I like the Giants this week. I'd like to get plus six. In fact, I bet it at plus six. It's plus five and a half right now, but there are some sort of spots where you can grab six. I think it you know will hit six and come off of it again, but that feels like the ceiling. And we'll sort of talk about the ceiling with point spreads and that kind of stuff here in a little bit because there's sort of more pertinent ones uh, coming forward. But for me, I just don't see why the Bears are necessarily favored by this many points, right? And I, and in a way, I, I mean, I sort of do because what else could you make this line, right? You're not going to make it three. I mean, maybe you could make it three and a half. Maybe you could make it four. And I guess that's what I think it should be, right? Maybe I think it should be four. And so I think I'm getting some value here. But I also think that the Giants have a very legitimate chance of winning this game outright. And this sort of falls in the same category in a lot of ways as the Falcons-Cowboys game where I go, you can tease it up, right? Plus five and a half up to 11 and a half. You're certainly more in the mix with different options of being correct in that game. And at plus 200, that certainly qualifies for a potential money line, you know, throw it in the old uh, bucket, right? Whereas the last couple of games, Minnesota and the Colts, right? A three-point line where we don't love the dog, right? We're not going to bother with that. The Rams and Eagles, I should mention, I suppose, if the Rams get to minus one or even minus one and a half, right, be on the lookout for that for the teaser. And being able to grab the Eagles at plus seven and a half would be an absolute steal. So that's sort of like the bucket with an asterisk, like be mega vigilant about that type of a thing. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Jets, right, and then the 49ers. And this, I mean, to be honest with you, this line makes me uncomfortable because it stinks out loud, right? Minus six and a half. It went to seven, is back down to six and a half. So clearly people are betting this at plus seven on the Jets. Now there's an element that, you know, and I'm sort of guilty of it and that's how I know about it, right? There can be the sort of too cool for school type approach where you go, you know, this Jets team, like, you know, such a buy low spot, you know, da 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 Whereas like coming into the season, I just think they stink. And so I'm not going to bet on the Jets, I'm just not going to do it. And I kicked myself in part that I didn't bet the bills last week because of, you know, how, you know, I talked about sort of the emotional leverage that I had on that game and needing the bills just to win for survivor purposes and sort of representing um, the people of this podcast who joined in um, on our Circa Survivor entry. And so, you know, like I, I didn't want to bet against the Jets just because maybe they aren't as bad as I thought they were. But they, they kind of are, right? And if they're going to be without Le'Veon Bell, which it looks like they are, and they're going to be without Jameson Crowder, I think it certainly uh, you know, could be a lot worse before it gets better. Now, again, the line stinks out loud. Now, I've bet it at six and a half. I'll fully tell you that. Uh, and if I'm wrong and the 49ers, frankly, if the 49ers don't win this by at least seven points, to me, that's a massive, massive red flag on the 49ers. And you know, to trust them going forward you'd have to be, we'd have to be getting a hell of a price to trust the 49ers at that point going forward. So I'm going to trust the 49ers infrastructure and talked about it with Sheldon about how, you know, sometimes it's just an organizational cover. He had a really good frame of, you know, sort of calling it that. And in this case, I'm going to trust Shanahan to get things figured out just enough that they can beat a pretty crappy Jets team here. 
and do so relatively comfortably. As for the four o'clock type games, Washington and Arizona grabbed Arizona minus six and a half, talked about it earlier this week. That number's up to seven. And Arizona is very much not only a tease down to minus one potential, uh, but a survivor pick and sort of a relatively low key one, right? If you're kind of, you know, listen, we're not going to win this thing in the first week. They're not going to win this thing in the second week. But, you know, for me, I kind of rather have the second choice every single week. And maybe that comes back to bite me. And listen, maybe the Cardinals aren't even end up being the second choice because there's certainly Tampa Bay is a pretty good option. Again, that's an option that we might still go with. Um, and of course, a lot of people going to be on Tennessee, maybe a little bit afraid of, you know, Jacksonville, sort of kind of the way that we are. Um, and then, of course, there's some other options with some of the obviously just going with the best teams and kind of risking that element. Pittsburgh, sort of a low-key option as well, but one that I think when you're in the division with Cleveland and Cincinnati, there are certainly better options later on um, to use Pittsburgh. So um, sort of a low-key thing there. Uh, tease the Cardinals. That's going in the bucket at minus one. Uh, obviously, you know, from a football standpoint, I talked about this before, right? You've got what does Washington do well? right? It's the front seven defensively, specifically the defensive line. And Arizona was to do enough, was able to do enough from a scheme standpoint that they were able to neutralize another really good defensive line in San Francisco last week. Is Washington's defensive line better? Or, you know, I, I don't know, right? Like they're about, they're both top five, I would probably say. And then you go, okay, well, so if they're able to score enough, say something in the 20s, right? Is Washington going to be able to keep up with that? And for me, again, coming off of a win, feeling pretty good about themselves, going on the road, like potentially there's maybe a heat issue there as well. You know, who's, you know, who's to say, you know, are they going to play it indoors? Are they not? I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know the setup in Arizona, but you know, for me, this sort of feels like a massive letdown for Washington versus, you know, Arizona. Is this a letdown or are they just you know, pretty good, and they have a really good plan, uh, both offensively and defensively. And is there anybody on Washington that can take advantage of the fact that while, you know, we still think Isaiah Simmons is a really good football player, you know, sort of a team-wide issue for Arizona is covering, you know, receivers out of the backfield and tight ends, right? So running backs and tight ends, you know, is there anybody on Washington that you're that worried about, right? Whereas with San Francisco, they can scheme up all of those guys. And of course, we saw Mostert take one to the house, right? And that was sort of standard operating procedure. Both of their touchdowns, San Francisco's, were taking advantage of Arizona's, you know, whether again, it's scheme, which is starting to feel like it. I mean, it's been one game, but it's starting to feel like scheme is the issue with that. You know, who can take advantage of that on Washington? And will they even be able to, right? And for me, I don't think that they can. And so I think Arizona wins this relatively comfortably. And if you're only going to give me six and a half or force me to give six and a half, I'm fine with that. Once it gets to seven, it's certainly not like now I like the now I like Washington. That's not the case at all. Um, it's just a situation where maybe you're just going to have to wait to see if that number comes off of seven maybe your book has it still at six and a half um, at which point I would jump on that because I don't think it's going to get any lower and sort of the good news is by and large is that there would in theory potentially be some you know pushback or some uh you know 
however you want to sort of put it, you know, uh, people out there saying like, yeah, I'll take Washington. They won last week plus seven. Like that sounds like a good move for me. Right. Like I'm looking for somebody out there to go against me, because if we're all on the same side, we're all in really big trouble, which in a way I kind of feel like that with San Francisco a bit, though I actually kind of like seeing that the Jets have gotten some money, even if that is probably professional money. Uh, Baltimore and Houston and KC and LA are the next two, and they sort of kind of go hand in hand here. But the one thing that makes them different, right, is that one's a seven point line and the other's an eight and a half point line. And you go, why would one, right? Why would Baltimore not push through that seven number to go to eight and a half? And why is Kansas City able to do that? Now it's down to eight in some spots and sort of it'll go back and forth from eight, eight and a half, nine, that kind of thing. Because people realize that the Chargers have played the Chiefs particularly well over the last couple of years when not that many teams have. And so that's just sort of a standard thing where it's not going to get to 10 and it's not going to go down to seven. And so even seven and a half, like people are not going to, to just, you know, grab that number, um, you know, to tease that down to minus one and a half. So it's just going to stay at eight, eight and a half. So why is, why are they comfortable though with Baltimore being able to be teased down to one, right? We've talked about all these other games, whether it's Arizona, some of the other ones, Pittsburgh, where you can tease down to minus one, which is really attractive. But in this case, there's so many tickets on Baltimore against the spread here that you would think that they would kick this thing up to seven and a half at some point to get money on Houston and to at least get that off of the T's number at minus one. And the reason that that's not happening is because I think sportsbooks think that Houston has a chance to win this game. And I kind of think they do too, at least relative to the number and the fact that they're plus 265 on the money line, right? Like that's, you know, that's certainly giving the indication that we're getting a good price even on the money line here. So I have to put Houston in the money line bucket. Now, do I end up sort of chickening out here like I did with Jacksonville last week? Maybe, or, you know, maybe Baltimore is just that good that they can go on the road and win by 10. Because like maybe they win by eight, maybe they win by nine, but isn't the next most likely way or the most likely way that you win this bet if you're betting on Baltimore is that they win by 10, right? And so it's like, you kind of need them. You're, you know, you're watching the game. They get up to seven point lead. You're like, man, I still need another possession here. I still need another score of some kind to get this thing to a winner. So for me, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see if it goes to seven and a half. And if it does in a way that sort of blows my whole theory out of the water, but in another way, at least, you know, that sort of saves me this idea that the number staying at seven is an indication that Houston is the right side in this game. So kind of a, you know, a bit of a trench warfare type of a thing here with the sports books from a psychological standpoint, especially when the Chiefs Chargers is sitting right there. Now, from the Chargers standpoint, right, defensively, they have to shut down Patrick Mahomes, but they have done a pretty good job at doing that the last couple of years. And last year, right, he went one touchdown, one interception in each game. They need a kickoff return touchdown, which like, how often do you see that? ever right to cover against the Chargers in the first game they you know were basically neck and neck Chargers and Chiefs in that Mexico City Monday night game last year where frankly the Chargers were probably the right side and I believe that number was about plus four and a half to plus six 
right? And so, you know, listen, this is as neutral as it comes to, right? This is not a home game for the Chargers. Even if there ever was a home game for the LA Chargers, this certainly isn't one of those things, right? This is effectively a neutral site on a fast track, which is completely terrifying if you're trying to bet the Chargers here. And more terrifying is sort of how bad the Bengals defense looked last night, right? Like that doesn't, that's not a good look for the Chargers, that that was the case um, last night, af, you know, four or five days after the Chargers, you know, we're able to move the ball a little bit, but weren't able to sort of, <laughs> weren't able to score touchdowns by and large. And so that for me is a stay away here. Um, you know, if you could get a rogue Chargers tease number up into the plus 14s, 14 and a half, right? Like teasing plus eight and a half, like I would do that. I think the number is a little too high to tease the Chiefs down. That feels a little sucker bet to me. Uh, I don't think the Chargers are going to win this game. So even at plus 320, that's not worth a um, bucket situation. And I'm not sure I trust the, I don't trust the Chargers offense to get involved in the total here. And I don't trust the uh, Chiefs defense to get involved in the total in sort of a weird way, right? And so um, as for the Sunday night game, right? Patriots and the Seahawks. And I've got a little shout out here for my guy. He's at Texas Parlay, my man Toby, who I met in Vegas uh, last week. Um, you know, he busted out his favorite trend in all of basically football betting. And he's like, this one comes up, doesn't come up very often, but it comes up every once in a while, right? And a team averaging over 160 yards rushing, right? Dominating on the ground. And they're getting points as underdogs are some like 80 plus percent level cover situation. Well, there's only been one game. So average is what the average is. Average is divided by one. But the Patriots had over 160 yards rushing last week. And they're getting they're getting points at Seattle. And that qualifies perfectly for Toby's, again, at Texas Parlay, if you want to give him a follow, uh, for his trend. And listen, I don't, you know, I don't need to see the trend, right? So part of this is sort of confirming what you've, you already think. And I, again, tweeted about it the other day, right? Patriots plus five was the number I got, plus four and a half, still good. It's down to four. I've even seen some mention of it being three and a half, right? Sheldon talked about it on his podcast about it being three and a half. Um, again, obviously numbers matter, right? So like, don't grab the three and a half, like make sure you get plus four at the very least. And obviously four and a half is a great number there as well. And so I just rather still be on the Patriots side here as underdogs, as much as I like Seattle for this entire season, right? I've been on and on about that. Uh, I'm still good to go with the Patriots there. Um, tease bucket, right? Money line bucket. Both of those apply. It's these ones that I love so much that are in that four, four and a half zone where you can tease them up over 10, right? You're getting the key numbers of six, seven, to a lesser extent, eight, but 10. And you're, you know, you're allowing yourself to be down 17 points and get a backdoor cover on some of these teases. And then of course, Patriots money line, being sort of anything higher than plus 150. I don't care who, what team they're playing at any given time. If Bill Belichick is involved, I'm down with that. So it qualifies in both cases. Then there's the Monday night game. We'll talk about it more on Monday. So I'll just say right now, I don't have a play for that necessarily just yet. I have a lean. I want to sort of see where things go here over the weekend. If some sort of emergency situation happens where I'm like, we need to bet this on Monday, you know I'm going to be tweeting about, about that. Um, but for me, it's not going to be a contest play on either side. Obviously, some injury uncertainty with regards to Michael Thomas and the Saints. 
And of course, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders making their debut in, in an empty stadium. Like, what's that going to mean as far as being home underdogs and all that kind of stuff? So again, for me, this is sort of a stay away for now. We'll probably have some sort of a play come Monday, but as of Friday, it's just not worth spending too much time on. So that's a story with regards to week two. Uh, again, Sunday, I you know I tape around ten, so I can get it out around eleven. You know, there's obviously a ton of line moves between eleven and twelve. So you know, I talk about where the line has gone, especially since you know this conversation we're having today. But you know, I also talk about okay these are the tease plays right last week all five of them hit so however you decided to use the tease bucket whether it was five-way tease or round robin or you only like two of them or you only like three of them if you had taken any combination you would have won in that case uh the money line bucket went two and three so we didn't get there with our sort of three round robin type setup um but you know again maybe you'd listen to the jags talk earlier and you'd thrown the jags in there with something and that would have worked out well for you. Um, but in general, right, if you had just taken each money line and just bet it on its own, you would have been profitable there. But unfortunately for me, like I'm looking for the big score with that sort of money line parlay round robin setup um, over the course of five teams. And so there's more than enough to choose from this week. So we'll have that. Of course, Circa picks, who the popular plays are in Circa and sort of what I think about that and you know what my last cuts are and all of that good stuff that all happens on sunday so join me for that one you can tune in around like i said should be up around 11 30 or noon uh and it's not particularly long where we try to keep it to 30 40 minutes just in time for the uh the games to start at one o'clock so that's a wrap for this one subscribe rate and review the podcast guys helps a ton you can catch me at mrus authentic on twitter until next time i'll see you at the window